Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Market Insights podcast. Thanks again for downloading. I'm delighted this week to be joined by Azad Zangana. Hi, Azad. Hello. Azad, of course, will be covering matters economic, uh, but also matters political, given what's been going on both sides of the Atlantic over the last week or so. Before we get into it, though, quick bit of context. So I speak to you on Tuesday, the 1st of October. Of course, the uh, sharp amongst you will notice that that is the first day of the fourth quarter. But it's appropriate to have a look back at the context that we're now in. And this also is the backdrop to what Keith and I are doing at a number of conferences uh, in the coming few weeks, where we are updating the inescapable truths one year on. And whilst you might think, if you look at year-to-date market returns, that everything's been wonderful on a year-to-date basis, or I suppose simplistically it has, if you take a step back and look at the rolling 12-month picture, uh, it actually is quite telling that the global index is marginally negative on a rolling 12-month view, whilst the S&P 500 on a nominal basis is up barely 2%. So that, to my mind, speaks to Uh, a slightly eerie message from markets in terms of the stagnation that we're starting to see. And we'll come back to that theme later in the call. But to get specific about the week in review, in terms of economic data, there wasn't much that came out of the US that I think is worthy of comment. But the big shocking news continued to come out of the Eurozone, specifically uh, the purchasing manager indices, um, which fell from 51.9, that's the composite number, down to 50.4, reflecting further unease. And in particular, German data, uh, where the German uh, flash composite uh, fell from 51.7, so expansionary temperature, into negative territory, Uh, just over 49. And with manufacturing being very much the epicenter of weakness, you'll recall, of course, that German manufacturing is very exposed to trade war fallout, given what's going on. So, Azad, the the headline news really last week uh, was around um, Speaker Pelosi's decision to announce an impeachment inquiry into President Trump. Let's begin by, what does that actually mean in practice? Well, it's the start of a political process, rather than a a, a legal process, to potentially remove uh, the sitting president. We've never had this happen. We've we've gotten close several times. But uh, essentially, we will now have an inquiry as to the conduct of the president. And if there's sufficient evidence found after a lot of investigations, interviews, subpoenas, and so on, then the uh, hearing will move on to the House. If there's enough support from both Democrats and Republicans, it can then move on to the Senate. Um, there are several hurdles, including the need to have Republicans vote against their own president. You almost a two-thirds majority in the Senate, don't you? Is that right? That's right. And because the Republicans control the Senate, it, it's very unlikely. But that doesn't mean that the process won't happen um, at, I think, the very best for the Democrats. They can hope that they can tie the president up between now and the presidential election at the end of next year. They just want to keep the news momentum negative, really, around him in the hope that public opinion steadily turns. Causing maximum embarrassment, I think, is is an objective for them, absolutely. And so... um, market reaction was weirdly kind of muted to this. There was a couple of uh, days of sell-offs, but nothing too dramatic. Certainly nothing uh, compared to what was expected around the time of the Russia inquiries. Um, I think at that point, the market was much more nervous about uh, possibility of impeachment. And that's partly because um, 
the hope for fiscal stimulus uh, was very alive a couple of years ago. Now that we've had a lot of the fiscal stimulus in place and uh, the Republicans have lost control of the Congress who controls the, the budget, um, we're now past that point. So uh, the die is cast, as it were. So uh, absolutely. A, yeah. um, but what about um, trade uh, negotiations? Uh, because there's been talk potentially of the trade war spilling, or, spilling over into Europe. Uh, yes, well, I think if anything, the the investigation uh, would make Trump less likely to want to start uh, another trade war on, an, on a new front. We've just had a trade deal uh, announced between Japan and the US, very small, largely on the basis of beef exports to Japan. But what's interesting is the Japanese wanted a sunset clause just in case there was an escalation on autos. Um, in the end, they were persuaded that there was no need for that. So it already suggests that the, the Americans are backing away from this notion of tariffs on imports on, of cars and so on. But I suspect China continues to be a different issue. I, I saw a headline on the Bloomberg screen this morning. Um, obviously, we're in the midst of the 70th anniversary um, of communist rule. And uh, President Xi's ambitions for China are very, very clear. Um, and so... It always strikes me that his timescale is potentially rather different to President Trump's. Oh, absolutely. He will be you know, president for life. And I dare say he may be around to see the 100th uh, year anniversary uh, when it uh, comes around. Um, for China, it, you know, there's, there's really uh, now a reduced incentive to strike a bargain and to come down from their red lines uh, when talking to the US because you now have a weakened president who, who surely uh, will be more open to, to negotiating and, and climbing down off his red lines uh, with, with China. So that does increase slightly the risk of an accident. It, it does, but you know our view for some time has been that this trade war will escalate between the two. So we're on course for that, based on recent tweets from from the president. Yeah, and I was struck by a comment um, that was reported in the media over the weekend of uh, some U.S. official saying, "Wait for it, there is no current plan uh, to force Chinese delisting." Uh, from Chinese um, companies from delisting from Wall Street. I mean, it's extraordinary that we've now got to the point where someone is notionally saying no current plan. Well, they're starting to look at alternatives to trade in order to squeeze both sides. Um, what's interesting is US exports to China year on year are down around 20%, much more than had been expected. And it's, it's certainly impacting the US more than I think they had thought initially would be the case. You know, Keith has a great chart in his presentation where, he, you know, I think Keith's line is the um, uh, Chinese do what they're told. I mean, Absolutely. That's, that's the thing about a command economy. Okay, so um, in a sense, it's the same as it ever was that we still have um, market sentiment being dictated by uh, peaks and troughs in rhetoric, but the psychodrama in the background remains the same. And if anything, as you say, is likely to, to get worse. Let's come, um, if you can bear it, this side of the Atlantic and go on to your um, famous topic of, of Brexit, uh, where, of course, we had um, Parliament um, recalled um, after the Supreme Court here in this country ruled that the prorogation of Parliament uh, was unlawful. Uh, and we now have the surreal... Um, site of Parliament sitting uh, whilst the Conservative Party conference is happening in in, in Manchester. Um, I, I, I just have to begin, I'm afraid, as I, by saying, what do you think will happen next? I think it is very unlikely that 
the government will come back from Brussels with a workable deal. And as a result, they will be forced in some way to seek the extension based on the Ben Act, which has now uh, been put into law. What th- this act do you, says, do you this talk about finding some kind of legal workaround to ignore the Ben Act? But that would seem to me to be in the wake of the Supreme Court ruling, just an extraordinary step for them to take. Do you rule that out? I wouldn't put it past them. Um, the legal precedence is that even attempting to do what they're talking about is actually illegal in itself. Um, some people have said that Boris Johnson will be even more popular in prison uh, during a, if we had an election afterwards. Um, I think they are doing their best to shift the blame for uh, the delay. Uh, when the delay happens, they will blame the opposition uh, who have stood in the way of this government, which has pushed for uh, deal or no deal, but an exit on the 31st uh, of October. Once we get past uh, the deadline, I fully expect a vote of no confidence to be called in the government and for it to carry, leading to an early election, probably around December, uh, I think at the earliest now. But um, the timeline for that is actually quite accelerated because given the EU uh, process, then really needs to be progress in the next couple of weeks, or it, that looks like the scenario. Yes, um, there are legal documents being published as we speak as to the government's proposals for a deal. Uh, Which is the, amending the backstop. It's amending the backstop. Well, it's actually now proposing uh, customs borders five to ten miles away from either side of the Northern Ireland uh, Republic of Ireland border. Um, but the initial reaction from Brussels is this isn't going to fly. So we'll see how far they get in terms of negotiations. But the um, critical date for your diaries is 17th and 18th of October. This will be when uh, we have the next summit of heads of states. This will be the final chance for the UK to agree a deal or uh, eventually request an extension as well uh, ahead of the uh, Halloween uh, deadline. And really, I think what I'm hearing you say is that it's getting to a point where if Boris is forced to do that, um, Prime Minister Johnson, I should say, um, then he will be able, or he's seeking to be able to clearly blame how the elite stroke parliamentary process has thwarted him so that he uses that uh, as the kind of rallying cries he goes into an election, as you say, uh, later in the autumn. Yes, I mean, the use of very emotive language, referring to the Ben Act as the, the Surrender Act, uh, you know, these are all designed to whip up uh, anger against what he, you know, refers to as the establishment. You know, he's he's pitching this as the people versus parliament uh, for the next election. Yeah. And, and to a certain extent, he is succeeding and he is ahead in the opinion polls, uh, but not so far ahead that he will win a majority. And I think this is, I think, where he would uh, struggle uh, because at the end of the day, he will have to compromise with Parliament. Yes, no, I'm, the, 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 the parliamentary arithmetic still seems to augur for that. So that speaks to ongoing uncertainty. We've talked about uh, the China trade uh, environment. We've talked about the kind of local drama of of, of Brexit. Uh, the start of the call, I alluded to very slow macroeconomic data, particularly out of uh, the Eurozone. So really the third thing I wanted to talk about um, this morning, Azad, was just therefore, as you think about the global macro growth backdrop, what are we looking at? I read about end of cycle stuff. And yet it seems to me that you haven't got that traditional end of cycle drama of 
monetary tightening, inflationary pressure, which brings uh, cycles to an end traditionally. How should we think about what's going on now where you've got data globally creaking? And I think I'm right in saying that uh, your team's forecast for next year is global GDP growth of 2.3% or set there or thereabouts, which is going to feel pretty lacklustre. Yeah, so I mean, it'll certainly be one of the weakest years since the uh, global financial uh, crisis. Uh, but you're right to say this doesn't look like a normal cyclical downturn. Yes, we are quite advanced in the economic cycle, especially in the US, and I would argue Germany as well. Um, you have very low unemployment rates, but yet you don't have the excessively high wage inflation. Um, you have had a good recovery in GDP, but you haven't had a buildup in household debt. Um, there is some concern around corporate debt, but still, these have all been quite manageable. You don't have the high amount of leverage you would normally expect at this point in time in the cycle, which has to go into reverse, which would normally create the conditions for the downturn uh, on a cyclical basis. Instead, what you have are several, uh, some small, some large, political and geopolitical shocks, both domestic politics, you know, we mentioned Brexit, we mentioned Trump, we mentioned the trade war internationally, which is having a, a, a negative impact. These are all working to uh, reduce uncertainty and increase um, the um, uh, sort of tensions that we see uh, leading to less investments coming in uh, globally. It's literally meaning people feel that they're operating with their hands tied behind their back. And that's a kind of, um, I, I use the word eerie at the start of the call, it's a sort of pernicious, almost it's like the old story of the frog in the water, you know, and, and the water boiling without the frog noticing. It feels like we've got that steadily unfolding uh, environment where, as you say, it's mount, it's the mounting impact, indeed mounting evidence of the impact of geopolitical uncertainty. Uh, absolutely. It, it's been um, picking up slowly but surely over the years. And it, it, recently, the, the, the biggest fallout has been on global trade. You know, global trade traditionally runs at twice the pace of world GDP growth. Right now, it's flat. And in fact, maybe potentially falling in the next few quarters. So, regions that do uh, and um, that do trade quite a lot with the rest of the world, like Germany, like Japan, are the ones suffering. Uh, they're the ones that have seen a big fall in the contribution from net trade. Even though the domestic German economy looks okay at the moment, eventually you could see the weakness from the external economy feed through into the domestic economy. Now, the PMIs that you mentioned earlier, actually, the macro PMI, the composite for the German economy, fell below 50 for the first time in six years. So that's not just manufacturing, that's now services, as, services well. as well. So um, there is a, a you know rising risk that parts of Europe will go into recession in the very near future. But it, like I said, this is being caused by noise, if you like. It's being caused by the political problems that we have, not by the, the serious cyclical downturn that could take a year or two to reverse. And hence Mario Draghi's parting appeal to governments in the Eurozone to really think through what they can do in terms of fiscal stimulus. Well, I think one of the reasons why we haven't seen um, more of an impact from uh, the trade situation on the US and China has been because monetary policy and fiscal policy in China's case, um, both have had effective 
uh, offsets coming from monetary and fiscal policy, interest rates being cut by the Fed, fiscal policy by China. In Europe, we've had some small interest rate cuts to rates that are already negative and low. We've had the announcement that QE will be resumed. But in actual fact, you know, monetary policy is tapped out in Europe. Hence why Draghi in his final speech was pleading to the European Union to start talking about uh, a single fiscal union, um, you know, fiscal action being taken at the top of Europe uh, rather than it being left to independently to individual member states. And of course, also why Prime Minister Johnson is talking very vocally uh, at the Conservative Party conference, which is in Manchester right now, around fiscal stimulus here in, in the UK. Well, we've lost count of how much he's announced already. <laughs> I know. Um, but uh, I'm sure eventually when we do get a budget, uh, we'll have a greater idea of the, the, the big spending that's coming in the UK. And just finally, I mean, because it, it, it is a relatively, it is raining. I know it's the autumn in, in the Northern Hemisphere. It, it is, it's a slightly rainy tone that we are casting here. Where do you think we could be wrong? What what could cause sentiment in risk markets to improve from here? Well, um, it goes back to the politics. I mean, there is always scope for politics to take a positive turn when the incentives are right. Um, if we suddenly got a trade deal between the US and China, then suddenly a lot of the weakness in Europe could disappear very quickly. And we could be seeing a very strong economy in the next year or so. Um, like I said, this is a, a a risk scenario for us, not our central view, but there is capacity for that to be there. Um, I'm mindful of how value spiked as a factor in September. Yeah. Um, and clearly, we've got that extreme stretch in terms of relative valuation. So different parts of the market today against that type of scenario are like a coiled spring. Oh, absolutely. I think a lot, a lot of the markets, you're starting to see recessions now priced in, especially in Europe. Um, it may be that they they end up becoming too pessimistic and you do get a rebound uh, at some point. But I think what's going to be important is what happens to earnings because you're, you're rightly said at the start of this podcast, um, markets have largely been flat compared to this time a year ago. They've, they've recovered year to date compared to Q4 last year. But what you will see is global earnings are falling. They're no longer growing. And if our forecast is correct and GDP growth slows further next year, then the prospects for earnings to rebound is is quite limited. Um, having said that, the market has derated quite a lot already. So you could see optimism around future earnings, but probably not in the near term. Okay. Well, on that note, um, we must end. Um, Azad, thank you. Let me just quickly summarise what we've covered. First of all, uh, impeachment in uh, the inquiry announced by uh, Pelosi, this is just likely to set the backdrop for a while uh, and in the run-up to November next year, with, where, of course, we have the election and it suits the Democrat pers- purpose for it to persist for a while. But in terms of direct economic and market impact, it's relatively limited. Uh, but, of course, it will mean that the Chinese slightly reappraise uh, President Trump and that particular drama in terms of the trade war between the US and China uh, clearly will persist. Secondly, in terms of, of Brexit, um, Azad very kindly laid out a path forward from here. And clearly, the next couple of weeks are critical as to whether or not a revised deal is or isn't going to be possible. But really, the core central expectation is that we will be having an election between now and the end of the year. And uh, it may well be um, that 
Prime Minister Johnson is forced to go into that, uh, having not been able to uh, get Brexit done, to use the rallying phrase, on the back of uh, being, in his words, thwarted uh, by Parliament and using that as a mantra to go into uh, the general election. But what really matters is that against this backdrop of those political difficulties either side of the Atlantic is the steady erosion of global economic momentum and the fallout in terms of real business activity that the political psychodramas are actually having on real businesses and underlying earnings momentum. And it's that that underpins why Mario Draghi is saying what he is saying to Eurozone leaders in terms of the need for fiscal stimulus. It's that that underpins uh, Tory party spending plans uh, announced. And of course, that may influence in time uh, the rhetoric that Prime uh, that President Trump has in terms of softening a uh, stance towards China in order to catalyze uh, a shift in sentiment. And from a risk standpoint, in terms of getting a snapback in uh, risk assets, that's really uh, what we need to keep a close lens on, even if it's not the economics team's central scenario at this point. So with that, Azad, thank you very much again. Hugely appreciate it. And thanks everyone for listening. That concludes this week's call. <laughs>